0: Welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and returning to the show today is Dr. Howard Schubner. He is an internist and the director of the Mind Body Medicine Center of Ascension Providence Hospital in Southfield, Michigan. He is a pioneer in the mind-body approach to treatment of chronic pain, and he's also the author of Unlearn Your Pain. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Tom. Um, Howard, welcome back to the show. And last week, we talked to Dr. Schumer at length about his overall approach, and I want to reintroduce him just briefly that he is my mentor. He is one of the top in 2009 about mind-body medicine, and we both have proceeded to evolve our knowledge and share ideas and continue to teach each other. So it's been a wonderful relationship. He has authored more than 100 publications in scientific journals and books. He lectures nationally, regionally, and internationally. He's authored three books, Unlearn Your Pain. It's actually more than three books. You're on your third edition of Unlearn Your Pain, right, Howard? Yeah,
0: but I just count that as one book. (laughs)
1: Okay, it is three books, by the way. Um, Also, Unlearn Your Anxiety and Depression. And the final one for for clinicians is Hidden from View, written with another very accomplished colleague, Dr. Ellen Abbas. He lives in the Detroit area, with his wife for 37 years and has two adult children. And by the way, one of my prior fellows, Dr. Mark Moise, works with Dr. Schumner in Detroit and they have a wonderful relationship going also. So Howard, welcome back and uh, I'm excited you're on the show.
0: Thank you, it's a pleasure.
1: So could you review for us, You, we, there's four components to your overall approach that are all really nice to organize your thinking. Could you review the first two, just really just by name them, and then we'll talk about the last two for this segment. Yeah, of course.
0: I mean, the first step is diagnose, diagnosis and evaluation, assessment to not only rule out a structural problem, but also rule in a neural circuit or brain-induced or mind-body condition. And we've got very clear criteria for doing that. And it's, as we said last time, it's not only telling the patient what they don't have and they don't have a structural problem, but what they do have, in fact, and the reasons why they do have it, uh, which is a neural circuit or brain-induced problem, which is reversible. Uh, the second component is uh, explaining uh, pain in the brain and how the brain works. And the model I use is predictive coding model, which is the most exciting uh, thing I've come across in in 18 years, more or less, uh, and how our brains actually create or generate what we see, what we hear, what we experience. And so we can, we can, when there's no structural disease in the body, which is the case for the vast majority of people with chronic pain, not to mention anxiety, depression, fatigue, insomnia, uh, These then treating the brain, so to speak, uh, changing the neural circuitry in the brain, reprogramming the neural circuitry in the brain is enough, should be enough, and is often enough to help them uh, resolve, eliminate their symptoms rather than just have to live with them and cope with them the rest of their lives.
1: So the two, the, the last two components, you talked about reprocessing and called emotional awareness, expression, expression training. Yeah. Can you explain the reprocessing um, part of the program to us?
0: Yeah, I'd be more than happy to. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, I worked with Alan Gordon for quite a number of years, and he's the one who coined the term pain reprocessing therapy. And we've been using that term in the last two or three years now uh, as a way of encompassing the treatment that is directly related to changing the person's relationship to their symptoms, directly related to changing the neural circuits in their brain by literally unlearning them. And and so there's a variety of ways uh, of doing this. Uh, You, and we've talked many times about helping the patient feel safe because what's causing the symptoms the mind-body symptoms, and neural circuit-induced symptoms, is a sense of danger in the brain. And the danger may have originated with a uh, a or many stressful life events uh, uh, in their lives, uh, which activate the danger signal, which can cause back pain or hip pain or stomach pain or headache or all of the above, etc. Um, and so they may feel endangered from ongoing stress, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but now what I want to talk about is how their brain continues to, may continue to feel in danger because of this feedback loop between pain leading to fear of pain, leading to more pain. This is a vicious cycle, and I believe this is the cause, the basic neural circuitry cause of the vast majority of chronic pain. So in order to resolve this, what we're doing is we're helping people reconceptualize the problem, not as a pain problem, but in a sense as a fear problem, as an anxiety problem, as a problem that is the reaction to the symptoms, not the symptoms themselves, because the symptoms themselves are due to the brain trying to help us, (laughs) right? It's a protective mechanism. And so We, when we, when we get out of the way, when we can reduce, reconceptualize the pain as being not threatening, not dangerous. If we can begin to have optimism and hope and joy, if we can um, stop reacting to the pain with fear and worry and frustration and anger and, um, and trying to fix it all the time. If we can get out of, if we can get out of that mindset, and there's lots of ways of doing that then the neural circuits shift and grad, sometimes quickly and sometimes gradually over time the pain just turns off so that's the essence of reprocessing is reducing the danger signal in the brain
1: what are some of the ways just maybe one or two examples of how our approaches that you might use to have this reprocessing occur
0: sure sure so first First, we're explaining it all and understanding it so the patient can understand, yeah, this is my brain. This is my brain on fear. And if I change that, I'll get better. So then, so for example, I'll ask them, well, how do you feel about the pain? You know, how do you feel about it? And most people say, I hate it. I'm angry at it. I resent it. I'm afraid of it. And I'm going, okay, well, that's part of the problem. Let's see if we can shift that. You know, if we we say, you know, you don't need to be angry at it because the pain is due to fear, right? If right. your child, if your child, you know, or if your uh, grandchild or whatever is lying in bed afraid of a monster in the closet, how are you going to respond to them? Right. Well, they all say, "Well, I'll go and I'll I'll show them there's no monster in the closet," and then I'll sue them and I'll calm them and I'll say, "Would you get mad at him? Would you be angry at him?" Oh, of course not. Well, their right. brain is acting out of the same kind of fear. And getting mad at the brain, getting mad at the pain is counterproductive. So if they can use that analogy to start calming their brain and soothing their brain and showing their brain, look, there's no monster in the closet. In other words, I'm not physically damaged. They can begin to do that. So that's the first step is changing their understanding of it and changing the emotional reaction they have to it. And then the next step is helping them to respond to the sensations of the pain in a different way so interpreting those sensations as just sensations to watch them to separate from them to observe them these are mindfulness or we call them somatic tracking techniques and so there's a variety of ways of guiding people through these through uh meditative type exercises so they're just sitting and watching the symptoms cuz they're watching their brain basically and when they do that if they can get out of their own way if they can turn off the fear their symptoms will tend to shift it's like oh now it's moving over here oh why is that oh it's your brain oh that's interesting what's your brain going to do next oh it's moving over here and so through this process they're learning experientially learning how to respond to the symptoms with less you know, fear and, and resentment and fighting and frustration
1: yeah i think i learned this from you but i one of the metaphors that jumps out of my mind is like one of those flickering neon lights is partially burning out mm. flickers here flickers there and that to me is one of the metaphors that's been helpful for me to understand this whole neural circuitry type problem
0: um, yeah exactly and there's one other thing that i just want to mention david is that there's another really important thing we found is helping people unlearn the triggers to their symptoms. So if, the tri- if they have a trigger uh, of, of uh, you know, it occurs when they're sitting or standing or walking or bending or with the weather or certain foods or smells or lights or sounds, what we're doing is we're giving them a minor a desensitization program kind of like how you teach, you know, standard psychology would teach people not to be afraid of snakes anymore. First, you look at a picture of a snake and you calm yourself, and then you keep going from there. So one of the things we're doing is I'm having, uh, and you've seen an example of this, where there was a patient that you saw where she she got pain with cold exposure. And so I had her, I had a little uh, ice pack on the desk, and I had her imagine taking the cold ice pack to her face which would cause intense severe pain and she imagined just imagine she closed her eyes just imagine taking that ice pack to her face and she got the pain right and i said so why is that she said it's not because of the cold it's because of the fear of the cold and that was like a light bulb moment that went off in her head and within five minutes she could actually touch that cold to her face with no pain because she had literally Switch those neural circuits by imagining it, and then, which is a low grade of graded exposure, right? Imagining it, and then giving a little more graded exposure. We can do that with walking, or sitting, or standing, and so they're in learning that that neural circuitry.
1: Well, can I can we share the reason why she's had the pain in the first place? How it started? Is that okay to share? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, she had. Uh, I mean, it's remark one of the most remarkable. <clears throat> videos I've seen. I've seen several of Howard's success stories. And this was quite dramatic. This is a very young woman who had been severely hit in the side of the face by her partner, by her domestic partner. And did it actually break her jaw or just knock her out? It was a pretty big trauma to her face.
0: I think it dislocated her jaw.
1: Yeah, it's a big. it was a big hit. Why was the cold, the situation, how did the cold seem to be the trigger with that?
0: Yeah, what happened is her, her jaw was dislocated. And there's a lot of other psychological emotional trauma in her life and with this partner ex-partner and um uh but the pain didn't start with the with the actual injury the pain started six months later after the injury was long gone okay right so this this the pain had nothing to do with the injury uh, other than that the, the injury had triggered her brain to be afraid in her I face see. face area okay. right um How did the, that's the fascinating thing. Like, why was she, uh, why was cold such a strong trigger for her? And this is, this is associative learning. That's just how the brain works. Right. If you, if you have a stressful day and you go to a big box store, like Walmart or something, and, you know, you get a headache and then you kind of notice the lights are bright in that store, two weeks later, you may go back to the store and get a headache, not with no stress at all.
1: Right but the
0: association between the light just like pavlov and his dogs basically right right and this happens so commonly and it gets wor- it happens with people with migraine headaches you know famously and and so many things and people think that you know they try to avoid those triggers more and more the more you avoid the trigger the stronger it it holds it has over you and so right. what we're doing is the opposite we're exposing them to those triggers while calming their mind Right. changing the neural circuits so that those triggers are now safe rather than dangerous and doing that little by little until they unlearn it.
1: Can you, um, we'll finish off your, this interview with um, your EAET. Could you explain that? Maybe also get the results of that boulder paper you put together.
0: Yeah, um, actually the, the boulder paper uh, is, hasn't been published, but it will be published soon. That was a PRT study. So it was randomized controlled trial with people with low back pain. The average duration of low back pain was 10 years. And um, uh, we did the this PRT treatment, the one that I just described to you briefly, uh, to them. Okay, what
1: so what does that stand for?
0: PRT, pain reprocessing therapy.
1: What is it you did with this young girl with the jaw pain?
0: Yes, exactly. Okay. That's the graded exposure and the somatic tracking Okay, and the pain explanation. It's making them feel safe in relation to their body, in relation to their symptoms, in relation to the triggers. Uh, Anyway, so we did that study and we found that um, uh, just under 75% of people had become pain-free in one month with an average duration of back pain for 10 years.
1: Wow. So it was really- This is a a group of people who have been told to live with their pain indefinitely, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, average duration of pain, 10 years. What are doctors and physical therapists and pain psychologists going to tell you? We'll help you cope with your pain. Right. So we were just thrilled about that uh, result. Um, Now to move on to the EAET, and there's another study we did on that. (laughs) What Um, does that
1: stand for again?
0: Emotion, emotional awareness and expression therapy. Okay. E-A-E-T. And this is basically what I learned from Dr. Abbas, from Alan Abbas in Halifax, Nova Scotia, because he's the foremost researcher and teacher of ISTDP, which is Intensive Short-Term Dynamic Psychotherapy, which is an emotion-focused therapy, which is amazing, and he's an amazing uh, uh, therapist and healer. Um, he's
1: also six foot nine in a basketball. He is six
0: player, nine. Right? Yeah, played on the Canadian national basketball team. in his youth. Right. <laughs> He's a gentle giant. <laughs> yeah, he's wonderful. I love him. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, and uh, so Mark Lumley and I, my, my research colleague in Detroit, is a brilliant psychologist. Uh, we developed, we wanted to study a form of ISTDP, but our our knowledge was kind of watered down and we didn't we didn't take the years long training in it. So we developed a a modification of ISTDP and we called it EAET. And uh, basically what this consists of is is helping people understand the relationship between emotions and pain, number one, or their symptoms, whatever they are, their mind, body or neural circuit symptoms. Uh, And it's helping them Instead of again, avoiding the emotions or kind of down regulating the emotions like you might do in a cognitive behavioral type format, we're actually helping them to feel safe in experiencing emotions. So it's emotional awareness. So we're helping them to become aware of the emotions that have precipitated their symptoms such as anger and resentment, such as guilt and shame, such as fear and we're helping, and such as sadness and grief. And we're helping them to feel safe in experiencing those emotions, to feel them and know that they're not going to hurt them or harm them, because their emotions are not harmful or unhealthy, and that they can express those. So we helped people to express their feelings. Expression of anger might mean, in a safe and healthy way, might be uh, writing it, we and we've talked about that. It might be writing about their anger uh, in expressive writing exercises. It might be speaking it in a in a safe, controlled setting where they're in, like an empty chair, where they might be speaking to the person they're angry at, but the person's not there, so they can say anything they want right. and get all that anger up and out. They can allow that anger to um, to to embrace it, feel it fully, and then let it go. And then see what other feelings are there. Oftentimes there's guilt and sadness, and we help them to process the guilt and sadness. Again, allowing those emotions rather than down-regulating them. And the whole point of this process is to move them through anger and guilt and sadness to compassion and love and forgiveness. And you've talked a lot about that. And so when you do that, what you're doing is you're that's what heals, you know, what, is, what heals is love, self-love, self-compassion and, and forgiveness, letting go or, or feeling compassionate toward the other so that they can move on with their lives. So that's in a nutshell what EAET is about.
1: I mean, what's interesting, I talk about this a bit where you mentioned earlier that emotional pain and physical pain are processed in the same manner in the brain with, with symptoms and the emotional pain hurts. And I'm just curious your concept. I don't have the answer to this question, but we do know if you don't feel emotional pain that you'll have physical symptoms. It's that simple. And what set of symptoms you develop is always unpredictable, of course. And so I'm curious why you think that happens. Why if you suppress emotional pain, we, found, we find out the suppressed emotions are actually almost a bigger problem than the emotions that you experience. Why do you think if you don't allow yourself to feel emotions that you, that you actually feel physical symptoms?
0: I think because it doesn't let off the valve of the of the danger mechanism in the brain, we're kind of hanging on to the sense of danger. And, you know, in one sense, we we make people and the you know the clinical term for it is alexithymia, people who tend not to feel or express emotions. And so, if you're if you're afraid of emotions, you're fearing them. And, and you're not expressing them. So basically you're holding them in. So you're holding on to emotions that you're afraid of. So there's two reasons right there why that is likely to activate the danger mechanism. And that danger mechanism can make you not sleep or be anxious or depressed or in pain.
1: So uh, okay, I repressed emotions, and as you know, I had 17 physical symptoms. My feet were burning, my ears were ringing, I had migraine headaches, these skin rashes were popping up over my body, I had tendonitis. I mean, I had all these physical symptoms. So again, a, a lot of patients have a hard time understanding, well, this is not psychological. I mean, these are real physical symptoms. And there's a lot of changes in the body's neural circuitry, also the body's chemistry. And I'll just be cynical here for a second, to me it's sort of high school science that if you're under threat, that your heart's going to pound, your skin's going to tighten up, you're going to sweat, and so repressed emotions we know are a threat, you don't feel safe expressing them, and you're, you're talking about basically with E-A-E-T, you're allowing people to feel safe with unsafe emotions. Am I saying this correctly?
0: Yeah, exactly. And we're kind of looking underneath and we're kind of saying that, again, our brain is our messenger. Our brain is not our betrayer. Our brain is our protector and is trying to help us when it's sending a message. And a lot of times people can really get that and really change their lives in such dramatic ways when they can say, oh, my God, my I'm feeling pain, but my brain doesn't speak English. You know, my brain is alerting me to some message. It may be pain. It may be anxiety or depression or fatigue. But there's some underlying messages that I need to get. Maybe I let people walk all over me. Maybe I never stand up for myself. Maybe I never take care of myself. Maybe I need to set some boundaries between me and my next door neighbor or my relative. You know, there's a message in here that might be really important for me to understand. And then they can say, Thank you, brain. Thanks for the message. You don't want to, right. when a smoke alarm goes off, we don't get mad at the smoke alarm. we see if there's smoke. And this is what this is doing. It's helping people see some of the underlying issues in their lives that you yeah, be ongoing.
1: Yeah, I mean, what I've learned is that um, I'm still pretty good at suppressing emotions, even though I'm getting much better at it, but I may be feeling just great. It seems like the usual stresses. is, <clears throat> excuse me, all of a sudden these skin rashes pop up in the back of my wrist. I go, okay, wait a second. So what you're saying is that I look at these skin rashes, which in a way is anxiety or whatever you want to call it. So I may not feel anxiety, but these skin rashes are looking at me. And so I just use it as a feedback loop. And so, well, okay, interesting. So again, wonderful set of podcasts here. And um, could you just really quickly review the four aspects of your approach? and how to access your resources. And uh, we really appreciate you uh, being with us today.
0: Thank you, David. Let me just say that we did, we didn't quite get to, we did do, uh, we had a couple of randomized controlled trials using EAET. And in these studies, we've compared the emotional awareness and expression therapy to standard cognitive behavioral therapy for people with chronic pain. And these are the first studies that we're aware of, large scale studies that have shown that one psychological intervention is actually superior to another psychological intervention for chronic pain, and so on the basis of these studies, EAET is now uh, approved as part of the American Psychological Association guidelines for chronic pain. So, wow. that's and What been- were the
1: ballpark yeah. results of the E A E T study? What what percent success would you ballpark expect in this, from
0: in our in our fib- in our large fibromyalgia study? Uh, let me think for a second. We had um, much higher results uh, for the EAT versus CBT in terms of a decrease of 50% or, or more uh, in chronic pain. The people in the EAT group, I think there was upwards of 25% or so who, I think that's right, who had that result. Right. Um, and again, that was after only one month.
1: Everyone compared to only
0: five percent in the CBT group.
1: Well, wow. you know, it's interesting. Did you have see that paper that came across the internet this morning that fibromyalgia is untreatable? Did you happen to see that through the uh, roundtable?
0: You know they've been saying that for years, and it's right. just so sad, so sad that you know people, because it only makes it worse by calling it incurable.
1: Yeah. No, I mean I fibromyalgia is one of my favorite diagnoses. I mean, of course, as an orthopedic surgeon, I used to dread the diagnosis, but bring it on. It's really a wonderful diagnosis to treat because people are beat up pretty badly. They don't have any hope. And when they come back out of this whole fibromyalgia diagnosis, which, again, is just a term, just a name, um, it's incredibly rewarding to see people with fibromyalgia heal. Really incredible.
0: Yeah, I agree 100%.
1: So um, Howard, if you just, um, again, we talked about your books about Unlearn Your Pain, Unlearn Your Anxiety, and Depression, also hidden from view. Um, you, uh, Those are available through his website. Um, what's your website, Howard?
0: Um, UnlearnYourPain.com.
1: Right, and then the thing about Unlearn Your Pain is it gives a really excellent background to, to the neuroscience and he keeps updating it. This is the third edition. And then he is in Detroit and, uh, and then what, is most of his work now, which I think is excellent, is within the um, clinical world, just teaching the rest of us how to, how to get these principles out there. So you're doing a lot of workshops and teaching all around the world right now, right?
0: Yeah, it's been, uh, it's actually somewhat easier now, because, you know, next week, I've got a conference, a workshop in Sweden that I'm doing. And, you know, I don't have to leave my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I've got one in Israel coming up in a couple months. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's kind of, Kind of fun.
1: fun. <laughs> All right. Um, well, Howard, did you any um, final comments to the audience?
0: I, I just uh, I just want to say how uh, proud I am uh, to do this work. How proud I am to be associated with you and and your work, and how you know there's just a, a tide uh, of of clinicians and, and people and patients who are really understanding this brain-body connection who are pointing the way to a a new paradigm and pointing the way to a change in the way we we do this work, which is so, so desperately needed by so many.
1: Yeah, no, and Howard's been a true pioneer. And also, again, is doing a lot of clinical work to get the data to back up what we're doing. So anyway, thank you again, Howard, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Thanks, David, appreciate it. Take care. I'd like to thank our guest. Dr. Howard Schubner for being on the show today
0: and explaining the techniques he uses to help patients unlearn their chronic pain. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website
1: at www.backincontrol.com.
0: Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.
1: Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing?